Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Today, I want to speak about the spirit or the sin of familiarity. How do we avoid or how do we stay? We must understand firstly what we're dealing with. And uh, with the amount of words that I'm going to speak, I know that your eyes are going to be open to the reality of what is happening really today in the Christendom. And I pray that by love, by love, something will be revealed in your heart that will answer you, that will give you a solution, that will mature you. Like I said once, the apostolic is a foundational office, okay? It sees the foundation of a thing, okay? It does not so much qualify how whatever is built on top is defined, but the foundations that are hidden, okay? And because of such, we want to make sure that believers are well planted, okay? The Bible says that he that is planted in the house of God shall flourish in his courts, okay? Because everybody needs a planting, not just visiting, not just attending, a particular church or fellowship, but everybody needs a planting. It's spiritual to need a planting. So the Bible says, he that is planted in the house of the Lord, he says he shall flourish in his courts. That kind of man, when planted, produces fruit. Even in his adult age, his leaves will not wither. Even when you're old and gray, you will still bring forth fruit. The Bible says, you shall be fat and flourishing. Fat, the word there for fat is not size. The word there for fat is anointed, okay? The anointing of the Spirit of God will be big on your life and that you'll flourish. God intends that by the time you leave this world, you are heavily anointed, flourished, and planted. So, everyone is a planting, okay? So, if you are planted in a shallow ground, or if this plant is not planted or deeply rooted, it means that anything can shake it, anything can blow it, anything can destroy it and distract it from growth. Okay? So the Christian faith is a faith that plants people. When you say, I belong to this ministry or visit this ministry or I attend this ministry, the question is, are you planted in that ministry? Or rather, established in understanding in the ministry that you are in or you're just a person who attends church wherever you're attending. And, you know, there's nothing to you. There's none that defines, you know, your establishment, your understanding and maturity. Because establishment is defined by the spirit of understanding. Okay? The spirit of understanding defines our establishment in God. So, some of these things that we teach you prune you. Some of the things we teach you help you produce fruit. And some of the things we teach you help you get rooted. You're like a planting of the Lord, right? So like a plant has roots, 
Okay? Like a plant needs a seed, all right? Some things are like a seed in the ground, all right? The way we teach them. Some truths and realities are like roots in the ground, all right? Some things in the spirit are like shoots in the ground, and we prune you, okay? Some teachings in the spirit are like, you know, branches that produce fruit to teach you how to produce fruit, okay? But you will notice when the Bible says his leaves shall not wither, it's an instruction. It's a concealment of instruction for one's leaves to not wither. What does it mean for the leaves not to wither? For somebody to be relevant, applicable, right? Indispensable in their generation. That's what it means for your leaves not to wither. Because physically, for example, leaves give shade, right? They cover. You understand? God entrusts your responsibility to cover certain people, certain things, and certain realms. Okay? So it says that when the leaves will not wither, that's what he's talking about. So you must see yourself as a planting. However, all of this begins from the root of things. The challenges that we have in the body of Christ, or personally, as children of God, are foundational. And so, endure with me as I try to teach some foundational things. They might be complicated. They might not be easy for some of you. They might be hard to take in. But in all this, I want you to understand and feel the purity of my spirit and the love of God toward you. Because he intends that you be planted. All right? That when winds come, boisterous, you know, when waves, uh, floods come, you stay standing. Like a house built on a rock. Nothing staggers it. Nothing shakes it. But when you read the gospel of Matthew, that's a space of wisdom. It speaks of a wise man who built his house upon a rock. It doesn't say that a man built a house on a rock. It speaks of a wise man who built his house on a rock. So I'm giving you divine wisdom, okay, to help you understand your foundations. Now, what is familiarity? Familiarity is the tendency or the way of life where people handle the divine things or relate with the divine things or treat the divine things as common, as cheap, as routine, as ordinary. Okay? Some people deliberately or undeliberately treat the divine things the things that are sacred with God as common things. They treat the things that are sacred or divine as routine, as ordinary, as cheap, as usual. Okay? And there's a danger. There's a danger. There's a danger. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, 26, if you read the message version, in the last line of that verse, Paul says, you must never let familiarity breed contempt. You know? Because it breeds contempt consequently. You know the common saying that familiarity breeds contempt. You will find yourself in offenses. So when the Bible says that may our love abound in all knowledge and judgment that we might prove the things that are excellent 
and that we will be without offense till the day of Christ. It is important to understand what offense is. It's important to understand what offense is. So our love is defined in what we know in God and how we judge the things of the spirit. That's how love is understood spiritual. Love spiritual, it just doesn't end in the feeling. It just doesn't end in the emotion. It just doesn't end in that thing that you feel when you're worshiping God, when you're in the presence and you're weeping and you feel like everything is there, the angels are surrounding you. You know, the anointing of God is great. You know, you're like on a spiritual high. All of that is okay. It's fine. But love is not just truly expressed only in holy emotion. It is in the balances of knowledge and the judgments of the spirit. That is why he says they that worship me must worship me in spirit and in truth. All right? In spirit and in truth. He did not say in emotion. I'm not saying that emotions don't come. Those are simply reactions of our outward man for our inward experiences. Okay? And so we cannot judge men by what we see outside. And you cannot say that this guy is a good worshiper because he's crying. Although you cannot say that this guy is a good worshiper because he's standing straight. Because God does not judge the outward temperament in defining the worshiper. The worshiper is defined by his revelation of truth. So love abounds in knowledge and in judgment for you to learn how the judgments of the spirit work. And tonight I'm touching the realm of both knowledge and judgment. Okay, this is for the mature. But if you've just gotten born again, it will help you as well. It will help you as well. It will help you as well. So, when we talk about familiarity, the spirit, the form, the nature, the way of familiarity, we are talking about you understanding that the things that are divine, the things that are sacred, are never to be treated Just note, never to be treated as ordinary. They're never to be treated as common. They're never to be treated as cheap. They're never to be treated as routine. They should never be. So if you find yourself there, it means that you are so near offense or in offense already before you know it. And because of this, this is the major cause of the grieving of the quenching and resisting of the person of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Some say, so how do I grieve the Spirit? Is it grieve not the Spirit? Quench not the Spirit? Resist not the Spirit? What is the beginning? What is one of the major causes of grieving, quenching, and resisting the Holy Spirit? And it is the familiarity of things. It's the familiar spirit. It's the scene of familiarity. And because of that, it is the biggest cause of things like delays. Some Christians are simply delayed. They're delayed. Nothing happens in time. And they say, oh, no, no, no. It's not the timing of God. If it's the timing of God, it shall happen. But you see, when you're born of God, you can tell when you're out of time. When you're delayed. Some people are delayed in their marital destinies. Some are just not ready, but some are ready and they're delayed. And they can tell. Some are delayed financially. 
Some are delayed in ministry. Some ministers' ministries are 20 years behind, 30 years behind, 40 years behind, 50 years behind. And you almost wonder whether in this lifetime they will be able to catch up. Okay? Some people's careers are behind. Some of you, your education is delayed. Many aspects of delay are caused majorly by the spirit of familiarity. Stagnation. Some people are stagnant. They're not moving. Nothing in their lives moves. You know, everything is just held. They can't just move. And one of those usually is familiarity. It's the number one cause of rebellion. Some people are spiritually rebellious. They're rebellious in spirit. They can read the Bible and the Bible tells them don't gossip and tomorrow they gossip. Don't blackmail and tomorrow they blackmail. Don't steal, don't cheat, don't lie and tomorrow they do the exact stuff and they know the truth. They know what to do but they carry not the strength to do because in them is rebellion, spirit of rebellion. It causes also frustrated potentials to feel that you have an ability to do certain things but you are not able to do those things and it continues to frustrate you because what you feel inside cannot manifest outside. The shifting of mantles, you know, mantles shift. Gifts stay, but mantles shift. The dimming of stars, the drying of brooks, the leaking of cisterns, identity crisis. Some Christians are still struggling to understand and live like children of God. You know, everything has been given them that pertains to life and godliness. They are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. They know these things, but they are not able to identify themselves as children of God. They don't understand who they really are. And all of these things usually come from resisting, quenching, and frustrating or grieving the person of the Holy Spirit. And majorly because of the spirit of familiarity. The scene of familiarity. Takes you to spaces of offense. And if you read the Bible, there are many, many stories of great men and women in history who frustrated what was given to them because of the spirit or the sin of familiarity. And the Bible says, and the things that are written are for, are for our learning, they're for our learning that through patience and comfort of scriptures we might have hope. So these scriptures that I'm teaching you. They teach you the patience of the spirit, but they also comfort you as you might be aligned to the hope which you're supposed to hold steadfast in Christ. That you do not do the things that are not supposed to be done or that you would do the things that are supposed to be done according to truth. I'll give you a few examples. Aaron and Miriam, they got so familiar to Moses and we know what that did. It was the birth of spiritual leprosy. The first leprosy we saw physical also had a spiritual implication of leprosy. Miriam and Aaron are judging Moses for marrying a Kushite woman. And you know, familiarity, here's the catch. They say, we too hear God. We too are called of God. We also hear God. Okay? And so God has to call them out of a tent of a meeting. You know, he rebukes them openly. And immediately, Miriam is stricken with leprosy. The first time we read or hear about leprosy in scripture, it was in a woman 
who took the anointed familiar, okay? The man of God familiar. There are people amidst you, and some are not even preachers. There are no more guys who clean, or, but they're heavily called and anointed by God. Okay, so the wisdom to discern, to judge, to know, and the knowledge to know how to deal is what I'm trying to express and share in your heart in this season because I feel God is preparing us for something so big and it's important that some of these things are dealt with even as we advance in the things of the Spirit. That's why later, when Jesus in the New Testament dispensation, we see the command, go heal the sick, cast out devils, raise the dead, and he says, cleanse the leper. Teach people to understand spiritual order. Because in there, the leprosy there is not just the leprosy of sickness. Remember, at first he says, heal the sick. So all manner of sickness physical was provided for in that first sentence. Heal the sick, coma. And then cleanse the lepers. So we are to teach people how to understand spiritual order. It's a command. It's nothing I have control over. It's not something that I do emotionally or you know, out of spite or beef with anybody. No, it's a command that we have to cleanse the leper, to raise the dead and cast out devils because we're freely received and we freely give. And many people do not know these things in the body of Christ. And some are asking themselves, why am I stagnant? Why am I delayed? Why aren't things working? Why do I see rebellion in my life? Why is my potential frustrated? Why do I feel like I'm dimming in the spirit? Why do I feel like I'm leaking as a sister? What's happening? These are the things. Hallelujah, glory to God. We have another story of Michal and David. These two are married. Okay? And we see that she, the wife of David, scoffs at him for dancing naked. And when you read the scriptures, you know, she mentions how he looks before the servants. In other words, she's telling the prophet or the man of God, David, that he is less even of the dignity of a handmaid. She put the king, the man of God, below the servants. Below the servants. And in fact, when you read the word familiar, the root definition even in Latin, in some of these words written, also borrows the word to make somebody or something as a household servant. Okay? Some people treat the word of God like it's a household servant. They treat the truths of the spirit like they're a household servant. They treat servants of God as though they are a household servant. They treat the instructions of the spirit as though they are a household servant. You understand? Your spouse is not a household servant. The Bible says you are equal in the honor of grace. As heirs of grace. You're equal as heirs of grace. Yes, our roles don't change. Love your wives even as Christ has loved the church. Wives submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. But as heirs of grace, you're equal. You're equal. All right? So, what happened? Immediately, the Bible says Michal was stricken with barrenness. She never had children. Some took common. They took lightly. They esteemed. They became so familiar with their anointing. All right? Samson, for example, God 
gave Samson such a great gift. Scripture tells us that he was the strongest man that ever lived in Scripture. This guy would uproot a gate and hold it and go up the mountain with it. He would kill thousands or hundreds with just the jawbone of an ass. He was an amazing fellow, very strong guy. And he was given a simple instruction never to reveal the mystery and source of his power. And by the deception of a weak woman, the scriptures tell us he sold himself over. He took the gift God has given him as a common thing. He took the anointing working on his life as a common thing that he could transact it in a conversation with a woman under another covenant. The Philistine, the spirit of the Philistine. And for money, the man lost his hair. And, and I want to teach one of those things, one of those days, to help us understand something about how to handle the oil on you, how to handle the anointing on you, how to keep this thing, you know. Paul tells us to guard that which was given, to guard it jealously. You know, you must know how to keep this thing flowing. You must know your power, the thing God has placed on your life that defines you that gives you the distinction and how to keep it. How not to sell it. How not to transact it. How not to frustrate it. Because if you do not know how, you will be such a gifted fellow, but stuck. Such a gifted woman, but stuck. You see in your spirit that you have more and there is more in you. And you keep on hoping for more, but as you're growing old and older, you're coming to the reality that that might never change. Or it might never come to pass. Why? Because the evidence around you is frustrating. And so you try to believe. You try to hope. You try to pray. You try to fast. You go on prayer mountains. And you lose every other day. And you're going to look at your ministry years. And you will see that, you know, it closed. It closed spiritually. Although physically you're in action. You're doing everything in your human effort to do. But there are people I know. Their ministries are closed. But they are functioning in the flesh. They continue to push in their own abilities. But their ministries look like they are closed. Why? Because it's been ages since the front door brought in life. And the back door is letting in every day. You see? You must guard that which was given you, the Bible says, through the Holy Ghost. He tells Timothy, keep that thing. In fact, the Amplified says, with the greatest care and precious excellency. Keep that thing. Keep that which has been entrusted unto you by the help of the Holy Ghost. You have to keep it. You have to preserve it. You have to know how to guard it. Samson did not know how to guard it. And yes, he killed more Philistines in blindness than he was when he could see, but he died with them. He died with them. That was not the will and mind of God touching his life. You've read about Gehazi. Gehazi took for granted the position God had given him in serving an anointed man. Why? Because when he runs after Naaman to meet him, and he tells him, my master said, give me those things you were to give him. And then he took of those things, silver and all his garments. The prophet tells Gehazi, how could you assume that I could not see, I was not there, when you went to meet the man at the chariot and received his money and his garments, was it my heart with you? How could you be so familiar? This is now the prophet asking. 
How could you be so familiar that you could not sense that because I'm a man of God, definitely my spirit was going to be there. I think he became so familiar to the man of God that certain things skipped him that he was serving a prophet. And I think it was the simplicity of the prophet. It was the simplicity of the man of God. It was the simplicity with which he worked. And I think this servant, Gehazi, took advantage in the mind thinking that he could deceive Elisha. And what happened? He was stricken with the very disease that Naaman had. Familiarity. ETC, ETC. So we go in the New Testament and I see particular stories that I want to share with you. Acts, the 10th chapter. I want to share something important there. Some of us know that story. There was a man in Caesarea. He was called Cornelius. Cornelius was a centurion of the band. They used to call the Italian band. And the story tells us that he was a devout man of God, one who feared God with all his household. And he was a giver and a praying man. He gave much alms and he was a man of prayer. And as he was praying one of those days, an angel of God appears to him in a vision. And when he appears to him in a vision at about the ninth hour, he tells him, Cornelius, your prayers and alms have come up as a memorial before God. Okay, it's important for those of you who study the word to search out these two things, okay? God respected the man's prayer, but he respected the man's giving, alms, all right? Now you note that there were two boys in the beginning. The first time we see worship defined in the Bible, low first mention, some of you know that. We see Cain and Abel. And these boys come to worship and one gives a more honorable or worthy sacrifice. And the Bible says, and the Lord had respect or he respected Abel's sacrifice above Cain's. Why? Because he knew how to give. So when you understand giving, I'm not talking about the giving that today some of our ministers teach, which is so manipulative. It is so forex trading kind of thing. It's like a stock exchange market. It's like a business transaction. It's so manipulative. It is like sports betting. It's like betting. It's like they're betting on God. Given. And I'm not talking about that kind of giving. I'm talking about that giving that comes from the heart through the revelation of God and your love toward God and that giving which is personal and secret. That is not manipulated because the man of God spoke. So we see that the man's giving came up as a memorial before God. And because of that, something spiritual was released on his life. That's the power of giving. Okay? But also, the Bible doesn't just talk about a giver. He talks about a praying man. He talks about a praying man. And so, the Lord appears to him. Of course, he's afraid. And um, when he's afraid, the angel tells him, you know, you're going to send for one fellow called Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lives uh, with Simon the Tanner just beside the sea and he will tell you uh, what I want to instruct you. And the next day, he sends forth his messengers and his uh, trusted guard and then he sends them go and look for Simon Peter. During that day, like the Bible says at noon, as Peter is praying up on a rooftop, he starts to feel hungry. And it wasn't a day of fasting because the scriptures tell us as the meal was getting ready. He falls into a trance, okay? And that's where I want to begin from. In verse 11, in that trance, in that vision, heaven opens to him and a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great seat neat at four corners let down from the earth. 
and wherein were all four-footed manner of beasts of the earth, wild beasts, creeping beasts, and fowls of the earth. So he sees a sheet coming down and everything, you know, giraffes, elephants, you know, monkeys, crocodiles, and all manner of things, creeping things, you know. All of these are coming down on a sheet from above. And fowls of the air, little small birds, they're all in there. And God tells him, Peter, rise, kill, and eat. Rise, kill, and eat. And I think the mystery here firstly is in the rising. Because if he cannot be elevated, he cannot be invited to the realm of the revelation where God is speaking. He cannot kill, neither can he eat. Okay? And, and if you're a reader of the Bible, you understand what I mean. The rising is important. So he tells him, rise, kill, and eat. Those are figurative, you know, of spiritual instructions. When you understand how that works, you understand the grace and glory that opens doors into nations. Okay, because remember, the foundation of this story is the basis of the opening of the door for the gospel to be preached into the Gentile world. Okay, so God needs the man firstly to rise, and I could teach on that one of those days. Kill and eat, okay? And the Bible says in verses 14, But Peter said, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Because in there, in that sheet, in the list of the animals, he sees things that by Levitical teaching in the Jewish culture are not allowed to be eaten because they are regarded common. They are cheap. They are so cheap. They are dirty. They are filthy. They are ordinary. Okay, And so his mind is locked in the instruction of the Levitical order that God in the New Testament dispensation is before him instructing but is not ready to take the instruction of that particular hour because he's familiar with an ancient instruction. He has stayed glued. The spirit of familiarity has held him on a past revelation and it's not allowing him to be pushed or to transcend into the next thing God is doing. Behold, the Bible says, I do a new thing. He is the God of new things. He's the God who wants the church to transcend. The prophetic words have been concealed and approved from time ancient that in the last days knowledge shall be increased. And I believe that the church is advancing and sometimes because of familiarity, uh, I stay on past revelation when revelation is transcending, when God is growing us to the next revelation. Because he knows the church can only grow through the spirit of revelation. Some of us cannot, you know, atone for that next level because we are so stuck in the past and how God dealt with us in the past. For example, in the Old Testament, sacrifices were animals, goats, rams, and these are things priests used to offer. Are we offering those sacrifices today now? No, we're not. Why? Because we have transcended. But that doesn't mean that there are no people out there who could, you know, sort of build revelations around feasts. And certain old cultures and traditions that are not applicable in the New Testament dispensation. They do. And because of that, the word of God is made without effect. The Bible says because of their traditions. That are handed down. So to know what to let go of when you must let go of it because you must transition. Okay? The spirit of familiarity has to be designed and dealt with. So it is with Peter here. God has told him, kill and eat. This is God instructing him, rise, kill and eat. And he's saying, uh-uh, I cannot eat anything that is familiar. All right? 
God has appeared in the familiar. He has chosen to seal instruction in the familiar. And Peter is saying, no, I'm not comfortable with attending to your instruction in the familiar because according to the Levitical teaching, I'm not supposed to indulge with instruction sealed in the familiar. But God said, but I'm the author of the oracles. I'm the God of this life. Why are we struggling about this? Peter is striving in his head. And that's why God asks him in the 15th verse. God spoke in a voice again the second time. He says, what God has cleansed, you cannot call common. If God has sanctified something through divine instruction, why are you still calling that thing familiar? Because your past has defined it as familiar. Your past teaching. Your Levitical line has defined it as familiar. Maybe, just maybe, God is telling you that yes, at that particular point, I could relate with Israel where they understood me. But now, the things have changed. You know, uh, history has shifted. The covenants have been transacted already. Now, I want to deal with you in this dispensation and this realm and covenant. And you're still stuck in leading your way in the old line. And there are people who are too stuck with what is so familiar that they cannot go further in the things God is teaching. That's why some people have a problem with certain doctrines. It's not that some doctrines are dead or bad. It's just that the doctrines they were teaching were the doctrines that gave them their first car, were the doctrines that built their first house, were the doctrines that gave them their first property. They built the cathedral they have. They bought the television and radio stations that they carry. And now God is saying, wait, that was okay for your time because as a babe I had to nurse you as a nation, because every nation, every people, every dispensation, every community has its own spiritual history. Now you began in the law, and that's okay. But now let's go into the perfection of understanding of the message of grace. And they say, uh-uh, that thing is wrong. There's something wrong about it. It's not balanced. The issue is not that really they can really debate somebody. Even if they did, the platforms and the way they do it is already out of line, so they cannot be right in conviction and wrong in principle. Because if you have an issue with a man, then go look for him. Declare that you fail to see him. Then you can write on social media where every person, because social media, Facebook, is a secular altar. Everybody drinks from there. That's why I don't write on social media. I don't have a page on social media. If you ever see a page in my name, if I've not announced it, it's not mine. You see? Because I know what these platforms can do. That's why we're torn. But some of us people are fighting a message that they're not going to be able to kill. Because it's too late. It is too late. It's more than just justification through faith. It's the revelation of the person of Jesus Christ. And if that generation, you know, raised people that were more excited in the gifting than the teaching and the word of truth, now a generation has come which, yes, wants the demonstration and manifestation of truth, but they're not about ready to ignore the teaching of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the revelation of the person of Jesus Christ. Because the Bible is very clear that as we behold in that mirror of revelation, it's the only way the church can have true transformation, true metamorphosis, true changing from one image of glory to another image into a greater image of increasing splendor from one degree to another until we all get to that full stage of that measure of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thrice, God tells him, and he cannot take it. Thank God 
that he took time to ponder, to sniff out the familiarity in the old, and then he ponders on the vision. And as he does, God gives him a clear instruction. He comes, he goes with the messengers of Cornelius. He preaches the gospel to the household of Cornelius, and they were filled with the Holy Ghost. And this one notable sign that opens the gospel to the Gentile, little does Peter know that that same account was supposed to be the ardent lesson that God is no respecter of persons. You know, he is no respecter of persons. What he did not know, that that perception and revelation he receives when the household of Cornelius receives the Holy Spirit and they're speaking in tongues, was going to be the defense letter when they are summoned and they're questioning Paul and Barnabas for the things that they believe. Later on, we see that when they summon them at the Jerusalem council, James, the chief apostle, and Peter are the people that stand in the defense for Paul and Barnabas. In fact, they tell the other apostles and teachers then of that time not to ever go back again preaching. They held them back as Jerusalem as we're educating them, and they send out Paul and Barnabas to go and correct the errors that were preached in the churches scattered because some of those men that went earlier were inexperienced and unskilled. Little do we know that that was the thing that was going to be used as an example when Peter is using it for defense. He says, remember, I saw the Gentiles. I was there in the house of Cornelius. And as I was preaching the gospel, before they said anything, before they did anything, before they cleansed themselves or anything, as I speak, they received the person of the Holy Spirit. So Peter is giving them this argument. And he's saying, if they receive as I speak, and between that time of my speaking, okay, to the time they receive me, nothing was done except their hearing. Then that means the gift of God is free upon all who believe. And there are no works involved. The revelation comes to them. So then Paul and Barnabas are sent to preach a righteousness which is of God through faith and not of works least we boast. But where did it begin from? By a man's vision being delivered from the familiar into the transcendent revelation of the hour. We read stories of Jesus Christ and his own people, how he could not do many miracles when he was in his own in Mark chapter 6. There's a wonderful story here. But I want to show you how familiarity sees, okay? Because this just did not happen with Paul or Peter or all these other people. No, it happened with our Lord and Savior, Jesus, okay? And the Spirit of the Lord showed me something so remarkable because the scriptures tell us in Mark chapter 6, the second verse, the Bible says when the Sabbath day was come, Jesus was teaching in a synagogue and many were hearing from him and were astonished saying, from whence has this man these things, okay? He was teaching so deeply and they're like, huh, who taught this guy? From which school did he go to? Why are they astonished? Because God has come in an unexpected package. If a Pharisee was teaching this, if a Sadducee was teaching this, if a scribe was teaching this, if a rabbi was teaching this, if one common fellow, a student of the law somewhere in Jerusalem was teaching this, there would not be any question to that. But here is the challenge. that This very ordinary fellow, the familiar one they know, is teaching stuff that is astonishing. And we see that a familiar spirit sat on them. And when it did, the scriptures tell us, they said, from whence has this man these things? In other words, the things Jesus is speaking, they can't come from him. He must have read a book. He must have listened to someone in Sydney. He must have read somewhere. And so he must have done something. But 
This is not this guy. We know the fellow. We know him. Some probably say, no, that guy is my OB. I studied with him. I know I worked with that guy. I know even how he thinks. He's my neighbor. You understand what I'm saying? No, that's my son. That's my cousin brother. I know the guy. I know the woman. Ah, ah, people even played with them here. Come on, I know. You understand? So, that familiarity. Okay? And the scriptures tell us, they said, and that wisdom, this which is given unto him, they were now questioning the wisdom which is given unto him because they saw it, and even that such mighty works were wrought by his hand. So they're asking, how is he so wise, and how is such great wisdom translating to a manifestation of power of glory in his life that is not him? And I want you to note what the Spirit shows me in verse 3. The question they ask is, firstly, they say, is this not a carpenter? Because they seek to imply if it was a Pharisee, we would understand. I hope you understand what I mean. Because being a carpenter in Jewish culture, right, it was a very low thing. It was one of those lower class, you know, crafts. So they say, isn't this a carpenter? In other words, isn't he supposed to be exposing skill in carpentry? This is not supposed to be him. And the next line, isn't he the son of Mary? Now, that's the most provoking one. And I'll explain why. If they had said, is he not the son of Joseph? We would understand that they appreciate that Joseph comes from the lineage of David. Because scripture is clear in Matthew when we read the genealogy that Joseph was of the lineage of David, Jesse, and that whole line. Okay? But when they say, is this not the son of Mary? Their meaning, is this not the boy that Mary had out of wedlock, whose father we don't know? Because if you're talking of Joseph, his father, we know. At least we can connect Joseph to the lineage and say, huh, maybe something has fallen on his life because he was a son of Joseph who had a lineage, who had a story, who had a heritage of men who could change things, who could, you know, do things like the way you see that John the Baptist's father was no ordinary man. He had a priestly thing on his life. Okay? So, they're saying, is this not the son of Mary? But in Jewish culture, actually, they mean, is this not the boy, the illegitimate kid, the bastard boy, whose father we don't know, but Mary had before it? Look, that also implies that there's something they're speaking about Mary. But Mary's, yeah, yeah, she was a, yeah, she was a loose lady. She used to sometimes, you know, go there aside and then come in culture. She used to go, you know, have some men on the side and, and had one kid out of that. But we don't know her history around that. Because remember, it's not yet revealed to them that this is the son of God. So they're even questioning his legitimacy. Is this not the son of Mary? Okay. And then they go back to his siblings, the brother of James. And not his sisters with us. And what happens? The Bible says they were offended. When they analyzed the fellow speaking with mighty works and his foundation and roots, they were offended. <laughs> Remember Nathaniel. We've seen the Savior. He says, ah, oh, can any good come out of Nazareth? Because familiarity can't find the Lord in Nazareth. It has to find him somewhere else where there's enough history to connect to such greatness. But oh how God has ways of appearing in the familiar. 
He appears there. But when he does, he's saying, even though I'm appearing in the familiar, do not take me familiar. Do not think I'm familiar. Do not think my works are common. Do not think that my ways are routine. Do not think that my workings are ordinary. And it begins in how you handle the word. It begins in how you handle the word. We see Paul in the Macedonian call. All right? And one of the group in Macedonia was the Bereans. All right? And the Bible speaks in Acts 17 verses 10. The brethren, the Bible says, immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. And when they did, the Bible says, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica. The Jews in Berea were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word of God with all readiness of mind. They received the word of God with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. They searched those things whether those things were so. Now, the folk in Thessalonica used to receive the word. Get excited on it. Oh my God, this is so deep. Yeah, but that was it. That was it. They should just receive it and that was it. They never did anything on it. They never responded to it any further, never reacted to it any further. That's just how they used to do their stuff. And now the scriptures tell us that when these fellows go into the synagogue of the Bereans, they find these people different from Thessalonians, right? And how? The Bible tells us that these fellows not only sat in the church or the synagogue to hear, the Bible says they receive the word with all readiness. God is telling you that familiarity begins in how you respond to the word. How do you respond to the word? When somebody's teaching, when you know that the person, woman or man standing in front of you is a great teacher, you must treat the word of God as though it were God speaking to you. Some of you think that you can handle the word as a common thing, as an ordinary thing, as a routine thing, as a familiar thing, and then separate yourself in a room where you're going to lock everyone out and then pray to hear the voice of God. That is not only familiarity, it's also such an indifference and hypocrisy of spirit. That is deception from hell. This is what I'm trying to say. Never do in secret what you could do to hear God of what you cannot do openly when you're listening to the word. Do you know what you do? Some of you say, oh, you know, I have my days where I separate myself. I go in a room and I lock myself up and, you know, I switch off my phones. I just put on some worship and I just study. Or I say, Father, speak to me about this woman. Speak to me about this man. Speak to me about this ministry. Speak to me about the finances. Why are we going? Some of you go on prayer mountains. And then you separate yourself. You spend countless days without bathing or talking to anybody. Because you're seeking God. And I tell them, look, if to the same degree that zeal, that commitment you give to hearing the voice of God by separating yourself and paying countless amounts to go to mountains and spending days there. If you cannot give that same readiness and attention when you're listening to the word, then you have lost God in what is familiar. 
And I say that with all conviction because I know people who go on prayer mountains, but they switch on their pastors or preachers and they're watching TV or listening in, but they're doing this, they're taking tea, they're playing, they're sending WhatsApps on phones, they're on Facebook, they're communicating with people, they're doing that, they're doing this, and then they're turning here, then they're doing this, and then they're doing that, and then they're doing that. But nothing to that is really connected to what God is communicating. I've seen people sit in church and, you know, a preacher is preaching on a pulpit and they're talking with each other. You know, what is that? Can you, can you remember? Oh my God, did you call this guy? Oh, did you pack the car right? You know, and you're doing all that and God is speaking. And in there, more than just the title of the message, God wants to drop something in your spirit that will change you. And then you miss God there. And then you go on prayer mountains and you learn to pray and they look at you as a praying man and a praying woman but you don't have the results of praying men. Why? Because you left him in the familiar. I said my word and healed. This word that they are teaching that you ignore and take for granted, this is the same word that framed the world. It created everything you see. It gave life to everything you see. Jesus said that this word is Spirit and truth. This word is the sure word of prophecy. He said these words are life to them that find them and medicine to their bones. No wonder you're sickly. Because of how you relate to the word of God. The Bereans were fairer than the Thessalonians. They received the word with readiness. You have to be a person when you sit before a good teacher. Nothing interrupts you. Nothing interrupts you. No phone call, not nothing interrupts you. Because you're trying to tell God that I respect you even when you come in the most familiar things. I don't take you familiar. I don't treat you common. That is how I worship God. That is how I worship God. That's how I worship God. That's how you supposed to worship God. And the second part of this, he says, they search scriptures daily. That means you are supposed to be a reader of the word daily. And when I understood that we are supposed to be readers of the word daily, that was the very reason why for the past five years into I think six, every morning a devotional has appeared on your screens, either on your app or on Facebook or on your WhatsApp if you're in our groups or sent by someone or on the website, every morning, something has appeared to give you the word every day. Some of you, you have these devotionals, but you don't read them. You don't read them. You know, you're a part of a ministry that is teaching, but you don't wake up every morning to educate. How many ministers does it take you to read a, a devotional? Five, two, three. That's it. Read it, pray, and that's it. Three minutes. Okay? But you can watch a YouTube video of 11 minutes. You can chat with friends for 20 minutes. You can, you know, hang out with friends. And every day there is something you're doing that really is not of any investment to your eternal purpose. So what do you do every morning? Before you talk to a beast or human being, get your devotion, read it. What is God telling me today? Search the scriptures every day. Search the word every day. Make it your you know, life's commitment to search the word every day. And if you do that, 
you'll start to see evidence of your progress. The Bible says, meditate on these things wholly. Give yourself to them wholly that thy profiting may appear unto all. When you do that, people look at you 10 years, 5 years, 3 years to come and they'll see a difference. Look at the people who are stagnant, who are delayed, who are all these things I mentioned, whose mantles are shifting, who are licking cisterns, who are dimming stars. And there's a way they don't relate with the word. There's something about them and the word of God. There's a way they don't relate with the word a certain way. I love the word of God. I love the word of God. Every day of my life, I have to speak the word of God. Every day of my life, I teach the word of God. Every day for the past five years. Through the devotions. Some of you listen to me on your CDs every morning or during day. You have CDs in the car, you know, and you're speaking in tongues. And these things are working in you. And oh, we have preached. If you want to understand this, write five devotionals in one week. You'll understand what I mean. Just five or seven devotions in one week. You'll understand what it's like to write that for years. And we're not tired. We are writing every day. That you'll search the scriptures every day. And we will teach you to have a readiness of the word. If you treat the word of God with a certain honor, you'll be amazed at the things that will come to you. But today, people are celebrating only gifts. And they're ignoring and throwing away the word. And they wonder why they're stuck. There you go. Read yourself of all familiarity. Scene of familiarity. The deception of familiarity. And the things that are divine and sacred should always be new to you. Never lose the wonder. Let the scripture you've read a hundred times surprise you the next time you read it. When you keep that wonder alive, you'll be amazed at the things God will show you. I want you to just raise your voice and speak to God about these words you've heard. Yes, and words have a truth. Changing me and changing you. We have come with open hearts. Oh, let the ancient words impart holy words. Long preserved, tell me quiet, for our in this world. They resound with God's own heart. Oh, let the ancient words impart. words, talk to God, changing you. We have come with open hearts. Oh, now allow me to pray these words for you. I pray for you that may God help you never to lose him in the familiar. Never to lose him in the familiar. Never to lose him in the word. That your heart will be steadfast 
aligned to the conviction of every hour, every season, and every timing of the spirit, that you will be attuned to the present realities and purposes of the eternal plan. I decree and I declare that you will not take the things divine as common, as ordinary, as cheap, as routine. But that every morning you wake up to the reality of God's truth, something in your life is changed. It is transformed. You are renewed daily. I read you in the name of Jesus of all manner of delay, of all manner of stagnation. You will not leak. Your star will not dim. It will shine brighter and brighter unto a perfect day. I decree and I declare that the mantle on your life will not shift. Or if anything should shift it, it should shift for your elevation to throw you into a superior grace. I decree and I declare that your eyes are opening to the realities of the spirit and you're getting more and more deeply rooted as a believer. That the results of your planting shall be seen even in your old age. You'll bring forth fruit. You'll be fat and you'll flourish with the anointing of the Holy Spirit and with the favor of God's glory. I decree and I declare that the sick are healed, the bound are free, the tired are being strengthened, the weak are made strong, the blind see, the deaf hear, the dumb speak. I rebuke all manner of infirmity and disease. All manner of disease is healing. There's a Victoria with a sick son. God is healing your child in the name of Jesus. I speak into your finances. I speak into your careers. I speak into your households, your marriage, and everything. God quickens you this year. This is the hour of redeeming things. And it is yours in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have never given your life to Christ, receive him tonight. Now is the hour, not next week. The word has come to you. For there is no name under the heaven or earth by which men are saved, but the name of Jesus. Repeat this after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you for my life today. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I believe that you died for my sins and was raised for my glory. Amen. The message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number 041-466-4291 or email us at fenerocompala at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Fenero. Make manifest.